Welcome to season two, episode four of Community is a Verb. My name is Connor Kaysen, your co-host here at CIAV. Next to me via the powers of the internet is my masterful co-host, Mr. Well-Traveled. Been a crazy week for you. What's going on? Hey, Connor. Uh, good to see you. Uh, yeah, I'm still here in Houston. And yeah, it has been quite a week. We've been through a lot. I'm sure you've seen it on the news uh, with the storm. So yeah, we've had a winter storm like no other. Well, I'm sure to start, we, we just got to give a check in like, what's the week been like for you uh, or other people that you know in Texas for anyone who's watching outside of the state, you know, we get the, the mainstream media for, you know, whether you watch CNN or Fox news or whatever crazy news station you watch uh, from talking with you. It's not always the same way that that information is provided maybe on a local level. I know we experienced that uh, this past summer with how the chop slash Chaz was covered on national media versus local media. And so, so what have you seen this week just as a simple check-in for the audience who, who cares about you and wants to know about, about what you've been going through? Yeah, um, I can definitely say, you know, everyone's situation here has been different. Um, you know, we lost power on Tuesday for about 12 hours and it was cold. It was not comfortable. Um, we dealt with low water pressure, which has also been um, a pretty common thing. Uh, many people uh, as, as of today are still, I think the number that I heard recently uh, was 3 million maybe people are, are on a boil water notice. So, yeah, a lot has happened uh, this week that uh, I think the way that I've been describing it uh, has been like as close as you can get to a total collapse of civilization. Like, I mean, it was a domino effect from starting on Sunday uh, with the rolling blackouts, then the lack of winterization of the power grid led to most people in the state losing power for days. And stories of, of folks who didn't make it through this uh, past that first day, either uh, due to carbon monoxide poisoning and you know, whole families were, were trying to stay warm and perish that way, um, fires in their homes or just, you know, they were just too cold. And I think the loss of human life really hasn't been discussed as much as I probably would have liked to have been because so many people were affected. And while most people made it through, um, you know, I, I, I do think the lack of preparedness has contributed to the loss of life that didn't need to happen and a desperation, right? Like it, it's, it is, it is, I think um, a horrible thing to plunge your citizens into darkness and cold and for days on end and not give them any resources to be able to uh, get through that. So that I think for me is, has been a real um, moving thing, right? To, to just, just to live through that and just to observe that. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, my family has been able to get on the other side of this. Um, many of my family and friends, they've been affected um, in, in different ways. Everyone's recovering. And I think that, you know, that's where we are. And that's the story you'll hear now. But, you know, this week was full of just everything falling apart. So that's a lot to go through. That is a lot. Yeah. And it, it's 
an, another event, right? It seems like every time we get on this show, there is a new catastrophe. There is a new downfall of civilization. I know like with texting you this week, you had this frustration of just like, I'm, I'm tired of every week, every month, there being like a new catastrophe and a continuation of our government also not really being equipped to protect its citizens or provide the resources to the citizens. And uh, that stems from, or yeah, stems from the beginning of the pandemic through now vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Plus every other uh, major tragedy, whether it's a hurricane or fires or to these winter storms. And it's, it's, it's revealing how fragile our society really is. Right. Like, and, and, and it's crazy to think about in previous years, how much for granted we took that for previously. And now it's like, all right, everything is stacking on top of each other. Um, and, it, and just nobody's catching a break, right? Like no one's getting a chance to take a breath. The pandemic, these things keep happening and the pandemic like takes a back seat. and the pandemic is something that will be remembered forever and ever and ever. And it's crazy to think that this uh, global pandemic is taking a backseat to some of these things, but uh, it's kind of when, when, all your electricity and all your power, all your food is spoiled. You don't have water. All those things, those are kind of more important in the short term with your daily survival versus the pandemic. So I understand why that is, is put out, but it's, uh, it, it's revealing of the fine line that we walk on as a society where we aren't far from like falling off the edge of, you know, a civilized nation that we say we are. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. I mean, I, I I think that's one of the big lessons for me this week, just how fragile um, our civil, our, infra our, our infrastructure for civilization is and how quickly it falls. And it, it's, it's a domino effect, right? Um, the power going out isn't normally that big of a deal because it comes right back on. But that didn't happen this time. So when the power went out, then, you know, people had to shelter in place. Okay, that's fine. But then it's very cold. Because it's very cold, then people are trying to figure out ways to heat themselves and maybe don't have everything they need to do it safely. So then that creates an issue. Um, also, many of the um, water services that people have to their homes or their apartments or offices, they require electricity. And so now you have a water crisis that develops on top of this. Um, the grocery stores, they also rely on power. So they've lost food. Grocery stores were closed. I even saw Walmart close, which I've never seen a closed Walmart before. Yeah, that's like a 24 seven business. It is normally, right? So Walmart was closed. Gas stations were closed because they, not because they didn't have gas, right? But because they couldn't process credit cards. They, their machines were down. They didn't have power. So suddenly we have reverted back to a cash society. I didn't have any cash on me. And, you know, everything suddenly is it just it just starts falling. And you look at people, then suddenly they end up with burst pipes. Now we don't have enough plumbers in the state. So we have so the governor's trying to find plumbers from out of state to come in. So it just it just keeps going and going and going and going. And so you, you're jumping in that moment, you're jumping from one crisis to the next. And yeah, the pandemic 
was still going on. So that does take a backseat for people because you, and your immediate need is how do I deal with my house being flooded? What do you, how do I deal with the fact that I have no food? I've lost all my food because I've had, I haven't had power for days. And now how do I stay warm? Because maybe I don't have the right clothing for, for this, right? All my winter clothing, it's in Seattle. None of my winter clothing is here. Um, so, uh, you know, you see that, right? You see how people are, are are struggling through that. People were standing in line for hours uh, trying to get food at the few grocery stores that were open in their area or sitting in line for hours at a fast food place because most of the fast food places were closed. Most restaurants were closed. Um, you know, right now there are these giant water distribution facilities because FEMA has brought in water from, uh, you know, the federal government supply. So that's what it looks like. It just, it looks like, one thing goes, everything goes. You know, we didn't have cell phone service for a while. I mean, it, it was it was just an unreal situation. And I think if you're on the outside of that, right, you're just seeing whatever, you know, national news is going to provide to you. But if you're living it every day, you may not even be aware of what's being covered on the news because you may not have power for many days. So you're relying on people to tell you what is available, where you can go. Um, people were sleeping in cars because that was what was, a, a, you know, the one place they could get some heat. Gas stations started running out of gasoline because so many people needed them, needed gasoline either to power their home generators or to power their vehicles. Um, you know, are you, it looked like a completely different place, the kind of place that we think is not America. And then, you know, you look on the flip side, right? You look at, okay, this is a crisis. Where, where is the government? Where are the elected leaders? Well, turn on the TV. One of them is in Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's this kind of, it's this kind of thing that, you know, I don't think many people think about when they're going out to vote. I just, you know, we just, we, just got on the other side of an election a few months ago. Um, we just had an inauguration last month. Last episode, we talked about why local elections matter. I'll tell you, this is, if you don't, if you, if you take nothing else away from this, and whether you are in Texas or outside of Texas, this is why local elections matter. Because what broke down here was local leadership. Yeah, and, and beyond it being 20 years of uh, decisions made by politicians for all of the systems that kind of dominoed and failed, uh, it, it was so clear what people were going to set up and be leaders in a crisis and which ones were going to get on a plane, which ones were going to blame its citizens, right? We saw one mayor uh, who's now stepped down because he said, you know, suck it up. And it's it's. It's perfect for the last episode, right? It was like, who you put in these positions matter because yes, there's the argument that it's like, there's only so much they can do, right? And if they're working remotely, like, you know, they could have power somewhere else to do these decisions, but uh, there, there's also something about leaders being out in the communities doing everything they can, right? Um, and, and, and going through the same thing as your constituents, right? Like how important is that to, to kind of, be seen and be felt and understand that the people that uh, are making these big decisions that impact decades and generations of our lives, that they're there with you, that they understand, right? And if, if you can just go, oh, I'm just gonna jump on a plane and go somewhere else where it's warm, uh, which, which going to Mexico for uh, people who have criticized uh, immigration for decades is just kind of, kind of a, a, 
a silly mind blowing thing to see um, that that whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous. But the, the point that you made about like watching it from the outside is it, it almost feels like when these catastrophes happen that we're looking at some other country. Right. But we're looking at other Americans and the struggle and they're going through these these life threatening, dangerous situations. And this is happening like here in America. Um, and it's easy sometimes to watch it on the news if you're watching CNN and and feel like that's far away. But it's like, no, these, these are Americans. Right. Like they're going through all the same things we are. And it, it, it can really happen to anybody. Yeah. I, I think that's that that is. Um, something that I, I hope that people outside of Texas take away also is that this is not a Texas problem. It's like, this is not, those people in Texas have this problem. This, this is a problem that's ex that exists in our country. And we all are citizens of this country. And so I don't want people to dismiss or disconnect from that reality because it is, it is easy to look at a situation like that and say, oh, that's unfortunate for those people. No, those people are, that's all of us. That's all of us. And, you know, and I think, I think now back to, you know, the wildfire season. And when I saw what was going on in California, I thought, wow, that's terrible. But I, I can say it did not impact me in the same way as now having to live through this type of thing. And it made me think a lot about what those, those people must have been going through and how they must have felt to, to know that everyone else was just living their lives in the rest of the country. You know, one of the interesting things was getting on social media. I, I, one of the things you can't do actually during a situation like this is actually spend a lot of time on social media. It drains your battery. Yeah. So if you don't have electricity and you're only power, you know, charging your, your, your phone in the car, that the last thing you want to do actually is spend a bunch of time on social media. So what, you know, I would do is I would check on, you know, Instagram every now and then. And it was like, this wasn't happening on Instagram. I mean, very few people that I follow were even posting about it because many people I follow aren't even in the United States. So, you know, I would, you know, message someone and I'd say, Hey, you know, have you seen what's happening? And I'm like, I haven't seen anything about this on the news where I am. I, I know people inside the United States who didn't reach out to me until Thursday or Friday because they hadn't heard about this wherever they are, because maybe they haven't been watching national news and their local news either they're not watching it or I didn't cover it uh, at the time that they were watching. And so it is interesting then when you spend some time online and you're, and people are just going on about their day and posting about whatever is going on with them. And it feels when you're in the middle of a crisis, it just feels like that does not matter. And that's not real life. And so it was, I think for me, not a place that I wanted to spend any time because I want to deal with what is actually happening. I don't care about the influencers. I don't care about any of that. So, um, yeah, all that yeah, stuff it, goes out the window, right? It was like, Oh, like influencers and social media and what's going on and how great people are like goes completely out the window when you're thinking about how am I going to survive? How am I going to eat? How are my neighbors going to, uh, stay warm? It's, uh, it, it prioritizes your life really quickly. Yeah. So how were you getting information then? Uh, well, mainly local news. Um, the local news, I think, 
did a good job in this particular case because what we needed to understand was you know how can you protect yourself how can you take care of your home and they did a good job educating us uh, over this last week about what we should do to prevent pipes from bursting they interviewed plumbers um, they brought in um, you know experts to talk about the power grid and they spent a lot of time um, I mean they had 20 I wouldn't well almost 24-hour coverage um, so they had a lot of air to fill but without commercials for the most part. So I think they used it well, actually, uh, to educate the public on a subject that, yes, they're in the middle of the crisis, but if you need to make sense of this, this is how you do it. And if you need to protect yourself, this is how you do it. If you need to get vaccinated, this is where you can go. If you need food, here's where you can go. Water, you can go here. And they use their digital tools, like their websites and their apps as well to help provide uh, people with the information that they needed. So that to me is what local media should be doing, right? That's what local media should be for. Um, and we didn't really get like the political spin that I think uh, many others around the country were, were getting, because I know when you when you reached out to me and said, "Hey, I," you know, they're saying this is the the problem of the Green New Deal. I was like, they haven't said anything about that on the news here. Like, I've heard nothing about that. And we've been watching all of the stations because you know you get tired of watching the same station all day, so you watch all of them. Um, yeah, I mean, we they weren't talking about that. That was not at all how, the approach that they took. They didn't take the political spin approach. They took the, this is what you need to understand about the power grid approach. This is who's in charge of the power grid. These are all of the contributing factors. So I, I felt like that that's that was great, the education. Um, doesn't help us figure out what to do about it, but it did bring to light a lot of other things that we may not have known um, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, when I when I sent that to you first, because what was trending was Fox News was like blaming it on uh, green power. Right. And then it, it was starting to come out like more like uh, there, there was a political spin that it seemed like the governor and some other leaders were trying to put out there through the news. And it was just like, we're going through this crisis and we're blaming, this is what we're going to blame it on right now. It was, uh, it was very weird to see. Uh, and there was a lot of backlash from that through social media. And those are some, some of the benefits of social media is uh, there, there's less people that have the distinguished voice. And so if someone puts something out like that, lots of people can kind of respond and say that wasn't, that's not the truth or that is. Uh, and, and it's nice sometimes to have that balance. Obviously we've seen that social media can work both in a positive and negative way in disseminating this information and providing uh, facts from uh, lies. And it's, it was very interesting just to watch through social media and mainstream media to see like how the information was going. But that's, that's great to hear from you that the, that you kind of had to tune that out and that your local providers were providing some sort of instruction on like, here's, here's how to take care of yourself. Yeah. And so what, what role do you think social media uh, provides or doesn't provide in, in this scenario? Well, you know, you know, ordinarily social media, or let me say, ideally, social media would be a place you could go to to get uh, information from people who are close to you, 
um, you know, like within your vicinity, right? But I don't think that's how most people use social media to get accurate information, resources. I think most people use it as a form of entertainment. And so oftentimes you are not engaged with or um, paying attention to people who can actually be any source of information, of useful information to you. Um, And so I think that was the thing that in in this crisis scenario, I felt like social media was a great distraction if you could you know, afford to use your battery that way. Um, but if you needed just the basic information, that was not the resource for you. Um, it's also not, one, it's not designed to be um, less power intensive in a crisis. It's still gonna give you the same drain on your cell phone or your iPad in the middle of a crisis. So it's not designed for that. The second piece is, it doesn't suddenly become easier to use to find what few resources or in, the information that exists there. You still have to use this, the normal way to search, the, you know, kind of go through posts and read things. And when you are in a crisis situation, you need quick information. You need it to come to you very quickly. You need to be visual. You need, um, you know, addresses and numbers. You don't need to search for additional things. So in, in my view, um, it had limited value for me. Um, it was, but I would say as a communication tool, right? So for me, I was able to use Instagram to find out when I started, when I saw people dropping off that I knew in Texas, I knew they're dealing with power eyes. I could tell immediately because I, there's some, some people I follow, they post every day, all day long, and they did. And so I said, okay, they're dealing with power outage. One thing when you're dealing with power outage, you you want to just stay in touch with, you know, the, the core people, right. That, that need to know about your well-being. And I try to be careful not to send people too many messages because I know that they're trying to manage their battery. So I waited until I saw those folks pop back up online to then reach out and say, Hey, how, how are you doing? You made it through. Okay. Where are you? That kind of thing. Um, and so I was able to use social media that way to, to get a sense of status. Right. Also when people were dealing with things they would post about them if they could and that let me know who had power who didn't have power who you know who's who's back online who's gotten somewhere safe um so i think as a communication tool we have other we have other ways of communicating with people right we have text message we have communication apps that we could use uh so i think social media is probably not the most valuable tool but if that's where people can go to find out how you're doing, then in that case, I would say for probably many people, it was useful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, because like here, especially over the weekend, I know there was the big pile of crashes that happened in Texas. And like everyone here in Seattle was like playing in the snow. Um, yeah, I also had friends. I had friends who had big power outages in Oregon. Oregon still having an issue because of the power lines that went down. Um, and then to see the inverse kind of like happen in Texas where, yeah, every, everyone was offline was uh, uh, kind of just a shocking thing to see when you see the contrast of society and people yeah, going about their daily lives. Yeah. And it, I didn't it, even it think was... about like, oh, his battery is dying. I shouldn't be texting him, right? Like I was texting you like just to like check in and see what's going on. And I honestly didn't even think about that until you just said that. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been doing that. It's an it's a interesting situation to be in. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's important to just 
to think about it, but I can tell you for, you know, all of the people that I checked in on, they really appreciated it. And I think this is the thing too, when you're in the middle of something like that, it's great to have people send you a message and to, to think of you in that time and to know that there are people who are somewhere in the world who they, when they have seen that there's a crisis in your area, they remember that you're there. They think about and, you. Yeah. Yeah. They think about you and then take the extra step, right. To not just think about you, but then to say, Hey, how are you doing? That's sufficient, right? Like I, I tended to respond pretty quickly and, and with very short messages back, just saying, yeah, we're good. We got it. We've got everything we need. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, there's a balance there, right? Like it's not going to be the normal conversation or it's not going to be a bunch of, you know, we're going to share a bunch of things back and forth. They, you know, it's conserving batteries is a big deal. And, and so obviously we're not past the crisis yet, right? Like there's still lots of problems going on. How, how are, but how are you thinking about the future um, in being prepared for something like this, whether it's in Texas or in Washington or wherever you're living at the time? Yeah, you know, I think that's a good, good question. Um, so this situation is more complex than I think um, many people will uh, give give or acknowledge, I guess. So it, they, I've seen a lot of fingers being pointed at a single um, cause. And that's just not the case, right? It, it, there are many, there were many contributing factors to this uh, crisis. So I, I try to think about all of those systemically, but ultimately I do think um, the systemic changes that need to happen start with having the right leaders. So I think about it's how important it is to make sure that um, as I'm thinking about future elections, that I'm not just thinking about how, my optimism for the future as I'm choosing a candidate, but also who do I want to be there in a crisis, right? Um, we've got lots of examples of bad leadership, people who clearly are not able to think systemically. So I think it's important not to forget those examples. Um, would be better not to reelect the people who are in office now who contributed to this particular crisis, but also any of the other crises that have happened over the last 12 months, we can name any of them, pandemic, um, you know, police brutality, insurrection. Uh, oftentimes there's overlap. Um, then I think the other is unfortunately how you will be able to take care of yourself and your family because you actually don't have good leadership. More, in my view, broadly in this country, we, we have um, most, most leaders and most people who are put into leadership positions don't think um, systemically. You know, systems thinking is not something that is taught in schools, and it's not something that we use as a criteria for who gets to become a leader. So when things break down, they don't break down because of a single thing. They break down because a system has broken down. And I think for me then knowing that there are systems failures and then there are things that will be, um, th there will be unexpected impacts. I think it's about trying to really think through how to prepare 
for that next crisis, whether that be a power outage, whether that be, um, you know, loss of water, to think about how do you stay safe? How do you protect your family? And how do you get the services, the critical life services back as quickly as possible? Yeah, those are all extremely important. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone now is going to be thinking about, all right, how do we avoid this? Um, I was talking with someone in real estate yesterday and they were saying how important now when it comes to looking at homes to have a natural fireplace, right? Like just a place to even keep warm just in case and how that's going to change how homes are built um, and what people are looking for kind of as they move to new places. Uh, yeah. On, on the topic of moving, this is way off script, so I know I'm throwing you a curveball here. But Texas has been so popular this year for being the destination for all the Californians to move to, right? So we have the wildfires, we have uh, COVID-19, and all the Californians are like, I got to get out of here, right? And so many of them went to Texas, uh, right, kind of led by some major personalities. Now they're in Texas and we're having this situation going on, which I'm sure these really rich celebrities could do the same thing as crews could do get on a plane go somewhere else but how do you think that's gonna do you think that's gonna have an effect on the desirability of going to texas no (laughs) that's that was what i was thinking you were gonna say and and so why uh i'll say one if you're coming from california we all saw what happened last year with the wildfires and the smoke that's one thing so i think people can easily say well you're going to deal with natural disasters anywhere because climate change is everywhere. That's one. Um, Two, people are making the decision based on cost of living, right? So that doesn't change. And with cost of living does come some trade-offs, right? But I think people generally have a tendency to look at the good and try to see if the good outweighs the bad. And if it does, they can, you know, rationalize that. And also because this type of thing here has not happened often, I think people look at this and say, okay, well, if it happens every 10 years, every 20 years, I'll probably be fine and I can prepare for the next one. So no, I don't think that that changes anything about for most people who were considering moving here or were in the process of moving here, I don't think they suddenly say, well, that was so terrible. I'm, I'm just, I, Texas is off limits for me. I think they still continue to come here because remember, Houston has had some pretty severe hurricanes and Houston is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. Austin has had drought. Austin has had wildfire. It is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So that doesn't change. Yeah, it might might be more of political decisions than kind of the natural disasters uh, affecting some of those moves as well. Some, but also some people are moving here because of the politics of this state. So, you know, that's that's another thing um, that is that's kind of that's kind of interesting that some people have, you know, I've I've seen that there are people who are, um, you know, moving here because they feel like this is a place where they can live in a a way that allows them to uh, vote for and live. I I think there's a couple of ways, I guess I would look at this one. You have, I've read articles about people who live in places like Georgia um, who 
were not happy that two Democrats became senator there. And are people who are from, you know, California maybe and say, well, I'm not happy with the way the state's handling COVID and saying, I want to move somewhere where the government operates in a different way, in a way that I actually approve of. And so what for many of those people, I don't think that that changes their mind either. And I think if you look at, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, if you look at Texas, right, Texas doesn't have a, in its leadership, it, it's a single party state. Yeah. So if you're, if that's the party that you like, this would be a great place for you. If, but I would just argue that that's the problem with why all of the crises here become so extreme because this same group of people gets to make all of the decisions and they don't think systemically and they don't prepare. And from what I have observed, particularly this week, this same group of people does not prioritize its citizens in a crisis. I mean, those are powerful words and I, I and I would agree. All right. Like it, it, it shows from, from the hurricanes to the pandemic to now, right. It, do, it doesn't feel like U S Texas citizens are, are being looked after for the, by the people that you pay taxes to. No. And I, I think that's something that is, um, it's a tough reality. And I think people are going to process that different ways. I think people can accept some of the explanations that I don't accept from politicians. I think they can also, um, in their own minds, sort of justify or explain away things that um, challenge their worldview, right? Yeah. So that's gonna be, this is gonna be the test for, for this state because climate change despite what um, the politicians here say, climate change is real. And this state is dealing with that every year. There is some dramatic weather-related event here and things shut down and people get desperate. And it's that's expensive too. I don't, I guess that's the other piece that I should, should say that that comes at an incredible cost to the society, to individuals and the people who have the resources to deal with it, they're dealing with it. But at a certain point, you get tired of that, right? So what what's going to happen? There's going to be climate-related migration. The people who can leave then are also the same people who have the resources, right? So um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think we don't we we can't say what this single event means, but I think what we can look at though over the next you know decade is what um, what happens, what has happened since now and where are people 10 years from now? What will life look like 10 years from now? I suspect that we'll continue to deal with extreme weather events and we'll continue to have insufficient and incapable leadership. And that's going to cost lives and lots and lots of money. And it's gonna cost way more money than it would be to address these problems directly. <laughs> I think so, but that's not yeah. what they'll say. They'll yeah, say definitely not what they're going to say. No, they'll say it's too expensive. We we can't afford that. Or they'll say, "Do you want your taxes raised?" There's an like knee jerk reaction. Well, no, I don't want my taxes raised. 
right? I, I mean, we heard that with, um, you know, this electric grid situation. I was sharing with you that they had some people they were interviewing on the news and they said, yeah, so authorities are saying we'll need to charge more for electricity. This is in the middle of this crisis where people who do not have electricity are being interviewed. And they said, yeah, it'll cost more though for the consumer. How do you feel about that? And they said, well, you know, I don't know about it that I want to pay more to, to get our grid modernized or winterized. And so you, you have this real interesting sort of uh, cultural tension, right? That's that, that exists that um, I don't know that you resolve so quickly. Um, it, you're in a, this particular state is a good example of the United States as a whole, that there's this independent mindset that it's about me and my family and what I need for myself. There's not a lot of collective thinking here. But when things fall apart, you actually need to address them in a collective manner because in, in addressing them as individuals is really expensive and ultimately it's not sufficient. It's a, even you and your one approach with all the money that you might have, you can throw as much money as you want at it. You can't, you still got to deal with the rest of the society that might be shutting down around you. And I think that's the other thing that I don't know if people will really take away, but they should is that sure. Your house can have power. You can do everything you, you, you can, but the grocery store doesn't have power, right? So where do you get your food from? The gas station doesn't have power. So where do you get the gas from water? There's no water available for you. So all of those things, still become your problem. So yeah. you can't avoid it just by throwing money at your own house. It's not, it's not actually possible. Yeah. The importance of community, like is more important than ever, right? Like you can, you can do things on an individual level, but because we live in this connected society and uh, our relationship to our neighbors is that important. Um, you, you just can't solve all your individual problems working on an individual level. It's, it, and, and that was the intention why government was started, right? Like and the intention of governments are to keep the collective community together and organized uh, because as individuals, you, we just can't survive as humans, right? This is why family hierarchies are started, right? Like, like we naturally have created these families so we can protect each other and uh, collectively help survive, right? And, and I think society broadly it's supposed to do the same thing and government's kind of uh, how you corral all that together. And so if you don't have those resources kind of coming together to help, which these are the moments that government are supposed to be there for the people to help out. Um, it's, it's a tough situation that with our individual mindset that we have as Americans or as Texans um, it's, it's a really complicated situation to have with those like kind of fight each other. Um, and when you're in a desperate scenario, like what's happening this week, uh, everyone kind of goes back to their instincts of protect myself, protect my individual family, um, community kind of comes second after that, you know, if it comes up at all. And, uh, yeah, it's a very complicated, there, there's no one person to blame. There's no one single, uh, thing to blame as the problem here, right? All of these situations are all connected. Uh, I think that's kind of the intention of the of our show, right? Is to show how all of these things are connected and talk about it's not, we can't just blame one person. Yes, there are people to blame, but um, there are lots of factors that contribute to all of our problems that we have as a society. Yeah, very well said. So I know we are supposed to talk about the social dilemma this week. Um, 
we'll have to do it next episode. I the guess. next episode, <laughs> I, I and I think that will make sense between uh, local elections matter, the kind of individual crises we're assuming over the next two weeks. Hopefully, we don't have another one, and gonna everybody can get back to just worrying about a pandemic. P- pandemic, I guess. Um, We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully we can kind of talk more in depth about that because I think uh, how social media works really connects all of these topics together. And hopefully we can kind of give that the attention we think it deserves. We've been talking about doing that show for months now, uh, but yeah. uh, you know, when we have insurrections and pandemics and um, weather crisis that th- those kind of get bumped up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, what I, what I find to be interesting is, you know, over the last 12 months, can you think about all of the crises we've had? Like, it's just, for me, it just feels like one man-made crisis to the next. Like, that does not seem like a normal state of human existence. <laughs> yeah, no way. No. I hope not. I hope this isn't here to stay also. Oof. I hope not either. But I mean, I think with the weather thing, like those things are here to stay, right? Yeah. Like we, we, there's no turning back from how mother nature is now seemingly telling us like y'all messed up and th- you know, the, the world's going to be different. Yeah. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, who's been on TV this week, all everywhere. Bill Gates. Have you seen? He has. Well, he, he's had a book come out. So, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about that at some point. I, I haven't read the book and I don't even know if I want to read the book. I don't know that. I, I, I think it's it's a funny thing that someone who has all of the money in the world and cares so deeply about this topic has chosen to publish a book that has to be sold and promoted like it's an album or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a little confused about why this is the approach because I'm thinking to myself, as much as I've seen him on TV, this is as much as I've probably seen him on TV ever in life. Yeah. Making the round. I'm thinking to myself, there was no other way you could have gotten this information out there. Uh, you, you, you founded Microsoft. You mean you don't know how to start up a website and put the same information there? If you cared enough, right, about making this information stick in our society, because otherwise I have to buy the book, then I have to read the book, and then I have to watch you on TV or which requires electricity and cable and you, you get where I'm going with this. Yep. So I, I'm just thinking to myself, what is this really about? Is this really, really about climate change? And in some of the interviews, they have been really interesting to me because uh, the first one I saw was last Sunday on 60 Minutes. He interviewed with Anderson, Anderson Cooper. They went to Dick's over in Bellevue. Uh, they, they talked about him flying on a private jet. And I'm thinking to myself, do you know the things that you are doing to contribute to climate change? And so Anderson, of course, asked him that. He said, yeah, I probably have one of the largest carbon footprints on Earth. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. you buy, you, this book is going to help us? I, I'm confused. You're the guy that we are supposed to get the information from. So I don't know. I found it to be a really interesting approach to talking about climate change. Um, I... Yeah, I think we need to have a climate change episode at some point in the future. Maybe not next episode, but in the future, because I, you know, we we've been talking about elections a lot since we started this. We've been talking about social issues a lot since we've started. We haven't talked as much about climate, but climate is wrapped up, of course, in all of our, you know, survival at this point. And I think there there are 
billionaires who are emerging with very different solutions. One of them is we need to save the earth, but you need to buy my book so you can figure out how to do that. <laughs> the other, the other is, yeah, this is hopeless. Let's move to the moon. Let's go to the moon then, or Mars. Yeah. Or, and then the third is Mars. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is hopeless, but have you checked out the red planet? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we got to get into that. Yes. I mean, and, and the, the whole book thing, I never even like put that together. I haven't been watching a lot of the Bill Gates conversations that have been going on. Uh, but yeah, like you're, you're a billionaire. You're one of the richest people on the planet. Do you really need to sell this book? Right. Like if this inf information is that important, isn't there a better way than making people pay 15, $20 to read your book? to just give them the information, right? Like, yeah, there, there's this weird, there's, there's something fishy going on there. Um, uh, yeah, just about economics and, and capitalism and business in general, where it's, you gotta sell the book, but you really, you think this, do you think this information is important? I think he thinks it's important, but yeah, it's an interesting way to go about it on why do you gotta sell the book when you could easily, the, the money you make from the book doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, because the book could still have a legacy no matter how much money he makes. Right. Because what's going to happen is the content of the book that drives change. That's going to be the legacy. So why not just give that information to everyone? Publish it on a blog. Right. Or in a series of blogs. And yeah, very interesting. I never even thought about that. But that is a, an interesting thing to point out and to think about. All right. That uh, concludes. Season two, episode four of Communities of Verb. Do you have any parting words, things you want us to know, or uh, just way to wrap up the episode? Uh, you know, the, the one thing I, I will say is, uh, you know, I really appreciate everyone who reached out to me this week just to check on me, check on me like, like you. Uh, and I would also say that um, for going forward, we have, I think, this great uh, platform here where we're on YouTube and we're on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so, or, and other platforms. And, you know, I, I really appreciate those who have continued to give us a listen. We are in the double digits in the number of episodes. And, you know, I, I just appreciate everybody for still tuning in and uh, posting about us uh, when they, you know, like an episode. Um, so please continue to do that. Well said. Thank you very much to you, Mr. Well Traveled. I wish you the best of luck. I hope um, everything goes well. We'll obviously check in with you in two weeks uh, to see how everything is updating. And it's good to hear that you are at least safe at the moment and, and you've been okay this past week. You were able to make it to the episode. I know we were a little worried about even being able to record this week. So thank you very much for being here. I know there's more important things going on uh, in your in your direct life. But uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, any of those things that you would like to do. And we'll see you for the next episode. Bye. <laughs>